I'm Sambavi. And I'm Lakshan. And welcome to the fourth episode of our podcast, Diaspora Dialogues, a deep dive into the country of Sri Lanka through the eyes of subject matter experts on the ground. The recent Sri Lankan general elections have resulted in a landslide victory to the incumbent political party, SLPP. As promised in their political campaigning, the size of their majority has allowed the mandate of enacting significant constitutional change, which concentrates power in the office of the president. At Sri Lankan diaspora living in Western democracies, this kind of change is difficult to navigate and its consequences are nearly impossible to understand. Over two mini episodes, we've asked human rights and legal experts working in Sri Lanka to share their thoughts on the road ahead for the Sri Lankan people, especially for its vulnerable minorities, in the light of these sweeping powers newly granted to the government. Today, we're speaking to Sri Lankan human rights defender and activist Ruki Fernando, whom you will recognize from our previous discussion on political developments and challenges to democracy in Sri Lanka. So, Ruki, um, could you give us an overview of the constitutional changes proposed by the current um, Rajapaksa government? Um, and when are these uh, constitutional changes expected to occur? Uh, okay, so it's called the 20th Amendment. Yep. And uh, it is uh, uh, kind of trying to replace the 19th uh, Amendment to the Constitution, which was brought about by the previous government in, uh, I think, in middle of 2015. Uh, so some of the significant uh, features uh, of these two are that the powers of the president would be increased uh, through the 20th Amendment and the powers of the executive president uh, was reduced through the 19th Amendment. This is in uh, some different uh, measures. So like uh, one measure is the uh, appointments uh, that are made to uh, independent institutions like the Human Rights Commission, the Police Commission, uh, and also the higher judiciary. The president will have more powers through the 20th Amendment if it's passed, uh, whereas the 19th Amendment reduced the, the powers and passed it on to a constitutional council, which is a multi-party body, uh, which also had some non-politicians, uh, three non-politicians uh, who had a civil society background. And then another dimension is that uh, there will be a kind of a immunity for the president. The 19th Amendment uh, reduced the immunity president there. Uh, so we were able to file fundamental rights cases against the president. Uh, and I think a good example was the Easter Sunday attacks happened. Uh, people who felt that the president is uh, also responsible were able to directly file uh, uh, fundamental rights cases against the president. Uh, but the 20th Amendment, the president, uh, it won't be possible to file any uh, cases against the president. Yeah, no, just to jump in there, Rookie, I think um, you, you're right that it does, you know, erode a lot of the, con a lot of safeguards, um, you know, the, and the separation of powers. Um, and it, it does seem like it's going to lead to, you know, a lot of concentrating of power in, in certain positions. Um, do you feel like these constitutional changes are, are leading to, you know, greater authoritarianism in, in Sri Lankan society? I mean, I think it's a negative uh, in terms of democracy and it is negative in terms of independence of the judiciary. It's negative in terms of uh, checks and balances and rule of law. It's, uh, it has an authoritarian uh, tendency. Maybe, Sam, just to add something, I think one of the questions that we often face here in the diaspora is how we can possibly hold people in Sri Lanka, or not we, maybe how Sri Lanka can hold its leaders accountable for what have happened and what continues to happen. Do you think that these changes 
has a significant impact on that ability for to I mean to determine accountability? Yes, uh, I mean the most direct uh, impact uh, is I think that the president uh, can't be uh, there if the twentieth amendment is passed as it is, then the there won't the president won't be uh, we won't be able to file. Uh, any cases against the president and he can't be prosecuted. Uh, then secondly is the independent institutions like the Human Rights Commission, uh, the Police Commission and the Election Commission and so forth. Uh, so that also I think is a, a somewhere, it's a, it's a kind of area where our uh, you know, uh, ability to seek accountability uh, will decrease drastically. And also the, the fact that the Executive will have more powers, uh, more discretion to appoint uh, judges to the higher judiciary. Is also, I think, will affect our ability to our confidence and our perception uh, of the independence of the judiciary. Um, rookie, in in terms of the the minorities in you know the different minority groups, um, do they each have their like a position on the constitutional changes, and and how do you see that those changes would um, affect minorities? Uh, 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 so I mean, I think anything as it is, it's very difficult to for minorities to see the accountability more than majority. Uh, so it's more. Uh, so I think this uh, through an amendment like this, it will become even more difficult uh, for minorities. It has always been difficult for them. So there are, I think, different uh, uh, persons, different groups uh, within uh, Tamils, Muslims uh, are taking different positions. But essentially, everyone is. Uh, against uh, the 20th amendment i think uh, among minorities except of course those uh, tamils and muslims who are more uh, supportive and sympathetic to the government in power mm. is there is there anyone who's leading the opposition to the constitutional changes well it's not visible yet uh, i mean what we know is that uh, this condemnation of the 19th amendment uh, and the the expression that there is a need for a 20th amendment that will do away with the 19th amendment has been there even during the election time. Uh, so in a way, you know, the government is correct uh, in the fact that uh, there was uh, popular support for these slogans. I mean, this is not something that they suddenly brought out after they were elected. I mean, I can't say this with evidence, uh, but my impression is that you know, there are people who are concerned about the concentration of power in one individual. Uh, this is also, even if he fully trust and have full confidence in Gotabe Rajapaksa as the president, and even if you have full trust in the present cabinet of ministers, this amendment is not about them only. No, I mean, this is a, a amendment uh, to the constitution that will probably be you know, used by many governments not only this particular president. So any powers uh, conferred to the office of the president uh, is conferred not only to Gotabe Rajapaksa, to, but to any president that comes afterwards. So I think that is the, the so whether we trust Gotabe Rajapaksa, whether he's good or bad, uh, is a different matter, I think. I think we have to approach the constitution as something long-term, whether we want the person uh, uh, who will hold the office of the president uh, to have so much uh, unchecked power. I think it's a mistake uh, to kind of you know, think about a particular person who happens to be the president at this particular moment uh, when we are thinking about the 20th amendment. But can I just can I just ask, this amendment was part of their campaign platform, right? Like they were very open about pushing this through or was it something that came in later on? No, I think from the beginning they were very clear that you no, know, they would wanted the 90th amendment to be out and they wanted a new amendment. Of course, the details were not so clear, uh, but they were hinting at it. 
that uh, you know that they needed more power for the executive president. And so, how does that play in public opinion? Like, do people not care, or do people know it and support it? Like, it just seems coming from you know an Australian democracy where this kind of thing is unheard of. It just how do people rationalize that in Sri Lanka? Is it, is it something they openly support or is it something they're willing to tolerate because they just, they voted the president because of who he is and this is another thing that's just associated with it? It's uh, it's also because of the lived experience. Uh, so we had a president and prime minister for four and a half years who had a lot of tensions among themselves, who came from very, very different political, uh, social backgrounds. Uh, then... I think there were a lot of failures in terms of the economy. I mean, there were scandals like the central bank uh, bond scam. Uh, there were a lot of problems that uh, farmers, uh, workers were facing. So then on the other hand, we also had the Easter Sunday bombings where people felt that this tension between the president and the prime minister uh, led to no one being responsible and no one uh, no, uh, being accountable. So I think there was a feeling among many people, particularly Sinhalese and Buddhist, and also Sinhalese Christians after the Easter Sunday attack, that uh, we need a strong government and we need like a uh, government that is not uh, at odds with each other within, inside the government. So we want a president and the prime minister who is uh, on the same line as such. So I think there is a significant number of people who, who feel like that. Yeah, um, I, I think, uh, Rookie, from, from what you're saying about, you know, the constitutional amendments and, and just from the, the I guess, the, the media reports on how sweeping the powers that would be granted to the president and, and the position, um, you know, does, does it not kind of tend to those, um, those types of amendments lead to, like, power concentrating in, in families or in, in groups and it can, you know, kind of go on from generation to generation? Is that not something that could be a consequence of, of these amendments? Uh, you, I mean, right now it could be because we, we have seen in the past between 2006 to 2014 uh, that uh, Mahindra was a very powerful executive president based on the 1978 uh, constitution and also the 18th amendment which was passed in 2010. And it, so, but it was not only Mahindra you know, it was a family rule. The key positions were held by the family members. So one brother was the, the very powerful secretary to the Ministry of Defense, who is now the president. And then another brother was dealing with economic development. And another brother was the speaker in parliament. And there were a lot of others who won at one point, there was a chief minister, then there was the son who was you know, doing a lot of trying to be the youth kind of a person. Uh, so, so it was a very family-oriented uh, rule, and uh, it is like that now. I mean, it's very obvious uh, the, the the president and the prime minister are brothers, and there are the ministers also who are, you know, in this <coughs> from the same family. So it's very much uh, kind of a family-oriented. But of course, this is not the first time this family uh, uh, kind of a. No, a rule is uh, common. We had a situation where when Chandrika Bandarna Kumar was the president, her mother was the prime minister, who was a kind of an ailing and elderly at that time. Uh, then, uh, no, so I think we had the President Premadasa who was killed by the LTT, and then his son is now the opposition leader. So I think this tradition, and there are many other members of parliament you know, who have family members in uh, 
politics, either in the parliament or at a local level. And we saw even when we had this, uh, you know, women's uh, groups uh, had a very big campaign for a long, long time to increase the women's political participation. And when it became a law that 25% that local among local politicians have to be women, then uh, there were also male politicians who tried to look for daughters, wives, aunties, nieces, etc., to, to uh, get into that quota. So this uh, uh, family-oriented uh, politics is very common in Sri Lanka, but I think we have not seen anything on the scale that uh, we are seeing now in terms of the Rajapaksa family, and we have not. Uh, we saw a little bit of that in 2006 to 2014. So now we are going to see that again. I think. Okay, I think it seems. Um... Yeah, like that. There are dynasties almost that operate in the Sri Lankan political system, but it's similar to you know other countries in the area as well. When you look at India and the Nehru family, the Gandhi mm-hmm. family, um, so definitely mm-hmm. like there's political dynasties that you know seem to um, transfer power uh, onto onto family members and get the family involved. Um, yeah, so that that is just an interesting observation. It seems to be like quite a regional thing. Um, I mean, you see it in America too. Like you look yeah. at the Bush, you look at the Bush yeah. family, you look at the Kennedys. I don't know. Like it's just maybe it's not so subcontinental. I don't know. Um, my my question was it was kind of like a looking forward. What? How often do you get that kind of majority in a parliament in, in a in an election such that you could undo or redo this this kind of constitutional change? Mm, well, uh, two thirds is a bit rare, uh, I think. Uh, so, but that is like a significant benchmark, um, but uh, it's rare, no? So, but also I think we, we must remember that it's not the, as far as I can remember at the presidential elections, the voting percentage was about 52%. And I think the parliamentary elections, uh, got the, the ruling party got about uh, close to 60%. So it wasn't exactly uh, two thirds uh, of the voting population. But uh, in terms of the electoral system, it worked out that they could get uh, two thirds, and that's a bit rare. And I think having, I think the, uh, for a, from a point of view of a strong democracy, I think a strong opposition is crucial. So again, this is not about whether it's the UNP or the, you know, the the old uh, SLFP. Those are the two old parties. So now we have two new formations, reincarnations of those old parties. So I think no one should actually have. Uh, uh, no, two-thirds uh, kind of power that is very bad for democracy, that is very bad for rights of people and rule of law and accountability. Mm. Um, in, in terms of the civil space, uh, Rookie, like how, how, is, the, how is the space um, for, for um, dissidents, for, uh, you know, um, alternative media, um, for activists? What's the space like now uh, post-elections, I guess? Um, is, is there like a, diff- can you feel a change between how it's like now post-election? Mm, 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 mm. Uh, well, I mean, I think we talked about this in the previous time also. So there is a lot of uh, fear and uncertainty among dissidents uh, based also on some very you know, practical experiences in the last few weeks and months uh, and even in the past. Uh, so there is a lot of uh, self-censorship on one hand, and self-censorship is a bit broad. Like there are groups uh, who don't do the same activities that they have been doing out of fear of reprisals. Uh, there are others who don't write or speak uh, the things that they would like to write or speak. Uh, so that is all, I think, uh, self-censorship. Uh, but I think... Uh, uh, 
this is very ominous. So, but of course, there is also resistance and defiance. So the fear is that resistance and defiance would be very costly. So that is why. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, Ricky. It's it's you know tough times in Sri Lanka right now, isn't it? Um, but I, you know, I, I, I see like a lot of articles coming out about the bill and about the constitutional changes, um, like abroad in in the Australian media and, um, you know, Al Jazeera, uh, the Guardian. So. It's good that, like, I think it's getting highlighted um, and, and how impactful it's going to be on Sri Lankan society. I think it's good that it's, you know, really being highlighted and um, people around the world are sort of being able to read about that and how, how yeah, deeply, I guess, it's going to affect Sri Lankan society. Um, because we are also going to talk to Amiza, try and get her to okay. uh, join the podcast and, and also give her perspective as well. Lakshman, so, did you want anything to No, that was that was great. Or? I don't know. It just, yeah. it, it, just, it just beggars belief for me, to be honest, to see yeah, a kind of constitutional crisis. I, I just can't think of... I can't think of the, the Western equipment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but thank yeah. you. Thank you for your talk to you. Thank you.